0: The gospel, what does the gospel look like? If the gospel is true above all else, then it has to change everything else in our lives. So how how does this look? How does this look? And we've um, we've gone through a few of Paul's letters to look at this, because Paul writes to people in places and says, this is what the gospel looks like in your city, in your place. And the hope is that as we've done that, maybe there's been some stuff that would encourage you in your life, in your work, in your family, in your relationships to live out the gospel. Um, and we looked, to start with, we looked at Philippians and we looked at the life of Paul. We looked at how he says that our lives should mirror the life of Jesus. Um, and Paul is an example of this. He empties himself and he, he majors on the humble part of his life because that's the space where God can share the gospel more than anything else. Last week we looked at Colossians and we looked at some deep and rich ideas about Jesus. And this week we're going to look at Ephesians. Uh, Paul spent two years in Ephesus and we read in Acts that he first meets these guys who are disciples of John, who have uh, repented and been baptized, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. They've got part of it, but they've not got the whole. And he goes, and he has this incredible ministry there. There are people who are healed just by handkerchiefs that he's touched. Um, There's the amazing story of the seven sons of Sceva who come and and try and copy what Paul's doing because he's so influential. There's um, the story of all the people of the town gathering together all of their magic scrolls and spells and burning them together. And then of uh, Demetrius, the metal worker, stirring up a riot in the amphitheater against Paul because the gospel that he was proclaiming was so dangerous and powerful and it changed so much. And Paul is desperate to to go to Ephesians. That kind of comes through in in his life, in his ministry. But there's an interesting thing about um, about the book of Ephesians that uh, as Bible scholars, we notice a couple of things. One is that some of the earliest manuscripts and kind of artifacts of Ephesians we have, don't have to the Ephesians on them. They have the rest of the letter, but not that. And actually, in comparison to Paul's other letters, Paul doesn't greet many of the people. Now, when we read the letters of Paul, there are endless lists of people, and he says, say hello to this person, say hello to this person, encourage this person, say this to this person. And we just don't really have that in the same way in Ephesians. Um, Why? Why is that? Well, a lot of scholars think that probably the reason for that is maybe this letter was meant to be read a little bit more widely than just this church where he was for two years. That maybe actually this letter kind of circulated around some of the other churches in the area. Maybe uh, Laodicea, maybe Hierapolis, maybe some of these other places where we know there's the ancient churches. And Paul Writes this letter, and actually, maybe the title to the Ephesians or to the Laodiceans is put in afterwards. And that isn't just like an interesting Bible fact. There's something about the character of the letter and how Paul writes it, where it doesn't just read like a situational letter of here are some issues in your life and here is how to solve them. It reads, um, some people have compared it to like a constitution of what the church is. It reads kind of more fully than just, oh, you were dealing with this issue, this issue, here's how to respond. It reads like Paul writing to a load of churches and saying, let me explain to you something about the nature of Jesus and something about the nature of what it means to be the church, which is quite a powerful, quite a beautiful thing, actually. Um, it's really interesting when you read the first chapter of Ephesians, there's Paul's kind of usual dense remarks about the gospel and the church. And actually it's two sentences there. There's a, this is kind of Paul setting out his stall. In the original Greek, there's two sentences that we actually translate to about 23 verses. So Paul's kind of setting out his stall of, of this is what it means. And there's a couple of phrases that appear that I just want to highlight. One twenty-three, Paul Calls the church the fullness of him who fills all things, the fullness of him who fills all things. And in 319, Paul says, Paul prays for the Ephesians, and he says, he prays that they'd have a love that surpasses knowledge, that you, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I want to say this morning that um When we look at the gospel today and we look at what it should mean in our lives, that actually there's something in that word fullness that is really important for us. Uh, Jesus says, doesn't he, in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. And Paul is saying here, actually, in the church, in how we live together, in how our lives as individuals sing out, we're supposed to show something of the fullness of Jesus And be filled with the fullness of life itself. That's quite a dense concept, isn't it? Um, And I I wonder what you think of when you think of that. Do you feel like you have a full life? Do you feel satisfied? When we look at Paul's letter and we say, oh, this is constitutional, this is foundational for what it means to the church, do we think, oh, I hope he can teach me how to pray in a way where I feel like God hears me. I hope he teaches me how to pray in a way where I feel like I hear from God and I know my purpose and I know my calling. Oh, I hope, I hope in reading this I find something of what it means to live out the gospel in my life, in the struggles and circumstances and what I'm going through. Because let's be honest, life is rough. Life is challenging, isn't it? Church is a messy place. If any of you have been in church for longer than a week, I'm pretty sure you'll have been in a situation where there is conflict, where we have rough edges that rub up against each other. Actually, some of my own experience in church has been quite a painful experience of unhealthy, unhealthy um, interactions with leaders and in structures, and that's been difficult. And actually, when I think of my journey of faith, I don't always think of the word fullness. I think, what am I supposed to be doing next? Who am I? Where am I going? Why is this such a challenge? But actually, as we dig into this letter, we discover something of Paul's answer to that. And I would say to you today, um, partly because I've experienced this myself, that when we dig into this, we experience something of the fullness of life as we let the gospel really sink in. What does it mean for the church to be the fullness of him who fills all things? What does it mean for us to have a love that we would be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God? I'd break it down in in a couple of phrases that might be a little bit easier to understand. I think to live a life shaped by the gospel is to live a life that has been entirely shaped by our experience of the love of God. And a life that is shaped by us living out a way of expressing the love of God. And that actually, that's the journey to fullness. The journey to fullness is learning how to experience fully the love of God in our lives and learning how to express it fully in church, in the world, in mission, in all that God's doing. So let's dig into our passage today. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That phrase we highlighted just earlier. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the bottle of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood you can all achieve full manhood today which seen as 95 percent of us are women you just got to take that for what it is okay we're going to achieve manhood together um to equip the saints for works of ministry to achieve manhood here we go to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ so in this one passage we found two more verses talking about achieving the fullness fullness And lead us to fullness of life through your word today. Amen. Amen. So, what does it mean then? In this passage, what does experience in expressing the love of God look like? I really just have a sense in my spirit today in that of, of just, maybe God wants to speak to us about uh, The challenges of resilience and calling that actually may be a significant verse for us today as we look at this is the verse about being tossed to and fro by the waves. Maybe the waves, uh, Paul's speaking there about doctrine, but also about human cunning, craftiness in deceitful schemes, the works of the enemy, the works of teaching ideas, beliefs that we have that Bar us from God, bar us from the purposes God is calling us into, bar us from the journey God is walking alongside with us. What does it mean to experience and express the love of Jesus? I think it means two words. To experience the love of Jesus is to be brought to maturity. Maturity is not something we value in our culture, it's not a word you hear much outside of the church. Um, I know. I I really enjoyed doing a sermon series on Thursdays with Rod a little while ago about being being mature and fully assured was the title that we had for it. Um, We celebrate youth. We celebrate lightness. We celebrate you only live once. Do what you feel. Uh, The phrase I think young people are using and I show my age uh, is living my best life. I'm just living my best life. And yet, And yet at the same time, what is maturity? Maturity is resilience, is steadiness, is consistency. Maturity is impact, is fruitfulness. To be a mature tree is to be a tree that bears fruit. And we want to be fruitful in our life. We want to look and go, I can see the purposes and the plans and what God is doing in and through me. And the way to that is maturity. What does it mean to live out? A life that experiences the love of God. It's to be a life that is mature. And Paul pulls up loads of things in this passage of what that means. Paul talks about our walk together, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Maturity comes through our walk in community as we um, love and forgive one another, as we express those things. Actually, some of the pain of what we go through, some of what I was talking about before, maybe of my unhealthy experiences, maybe you're much more fortunate than me and you've not had those experiences. Actually, they're opportunities for me to love and model the grace of Jesus with other people. The pain and conflict is actually the spaces where God can show his grace more than any other space, which is a beautiful thing. And then Paul goes on, to talk about unity of the spirit that one body one faith, one baptism that actually maturity comes through unity maturity comes through togetherness comes through family relationships here Paul speaking specifically about the church but our maturity comes through us journeying together. I feel a little convicted as I say that that maybe uh, maybe us guys as a Thursday group should go out for a meal sometime or chat a little bit more because we do the service side and not the fellowship, right? Or maybe next time Rod's coming and speaking, I'll come and take a turn sitting next to each of you and we'll build a bit of that relationship because actually it's in unity that we grow together. It's in unity that we mature together. Paul talks about us being given as gifts. Jesus descended that he might ascend, that he might give his church gifts. Jesus descended that he might ascend He might give his church gifts. And what are the gifts that he gives us? Well, beyond the gift of salvation, it's the gift of each other. One of the biggest gifts that God has given me today is the conversations I've just had with Marlene and Marcos as I've arrived. That's the gift, actually, the gifts that we have are each other. And Paul is saying, actually, maturity comes through recognizing that you are a gift given to love and serve each other. As Jesus would say, don't hide your light under a bucket. Maturity comes through recognizing that, through spending ourselves and who we are on behalf of other people. Maturity comes through knowledge of the Son as we mature into the fullness of Christ. Maturity comes through being resilient, through being built up in love. Paul's powerful prayer in Ephesians, we often quote just the end of it. Um, He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. But actually, the context of Paul saying that isn't if you go to God with your shopping list of things that you would like, he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The context of that prayer is Paul is saying, I pray that you would be able to experience and grasp a little bit of the fullness of God's love. You'd know the height and depth of that unfathomable, unmeasurable love of God. And he says, and actually when we pray that you'd be able to experience something as vast and as ridiculous as the love of God, if I'm allowed to use the word ridiculous to describe God's love, Paul says he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. But for Paul as well, something about that isn't just about personal maturity, it's about the mission of what God's doing in the world. We experience the love of God but Paul clearly talks about us representing the fullness of Jesus and there's this verse um, in Ephesians 4 11, that's really significant for that and I'm going to read it out and then unpack it a little bit and try and dispel a little bit of myths that that's a little bit of the myths that's around this passage and then maybe shape something that could help us in in how we live out our faith how we express the love of Jesus says that, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So just, we'll start at the end there, right? We're trying to achieve maturity. We're trying to achieve The fullness of Jesus. We're trying to achieve that resilience, that purpose, that dynamism, that kind of sense of us living out the love of God in a way that transforms us and transforms our world with the hope of Jesus. Who doesn't want that? No one, okay? So how do we get there? How do we get to that place of maturity? How do we live out the fullness of Jesus' love for us and for our world in our individual lives? How do we get there? Paul says we get there through the gifts that Jesus has given to his church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And there's something significant in that list. You might have heard some teaching on this that I might be repeating, and then I hope to take it maybe a little bit somewhere else if we get time at the end. When we look through that list, something that's really striking is those five ministries are all part of the ministry of Jesus, right? Jesus is the first person described as an apostle in the New Testament. Apostle just means sent one. We might be more comfortable with the Latin translation, which is missionary. God gave to his church missionaries. God gave to his church people he was sending to do things. Messengers, people sent out to do God's work and God's will. Adventurous people called to go to new places, to travel around, to journey, to do new things. God gave adventurers to his church, and Jesus was the greatest apostle. Jesus was sent from the Father to the cross, through to the resurrection to transform the world with his love. He is the ultimate missionary. He is the mission of God embodied in human form. Jesus is the the greatest prophet. The greatest prophet. In a couple of ways. I mean, is there a bigger mouthpiece for God than the word made flesh coming and walking amongst us and teaching us? There are just lines that he've said that have captivated us through the gospels that have transformed everything. He was so inspired and filled and empowered by the spirit and he spoke out in a way that was, was us hearing the voice of God directly. I mean, that's the greatest prophet of all, right? The word itself made flesh. And actually in that, there's some of the practical things of a prophet. When we read the Old Testament prophets, they called the people of Israel back to the law and back to what God was doing. And Jesus fulfills the law in his very person and his teaching and his ministry. Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple and tells people this is what's going to happen. He's a prophet who can see so clearly because of his eternal nature, where he says, I'll be with you always to the end of the age, because he can see the end of the age at the same time as seeing the present and being with us. He is the ultimate prophet. Was Jesus an evangelist? Well, yeah, he is the gospel itself, right? The gospel is him as a person. And was there anyone more invitational, more fun, more inclusive than Jesus? as he went around and he welcomed the lost and the broken and the forgotten and partied with them and ate with them and celebrated with them and called them into fullness of life called them into living lives that sing of god was jesus a shepherd he was the good shepherd right the perfect shepherd he was such a good shepherd that he didn't just care for his sheep he laid down his life for his sheep and was jesus the teacher again, just words that just slipped off his tongue as as he spoke and ministered and guided his people have transformed everything. Read the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teaching in history that manages to not just be a description of God and his kingdom, but also manages to be Jesus describing himself and his ministry. So when we read through those, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher... They represent the ministry of Jesus. And what one person, what one person other than Jesus could do all of those gifts together? Yet we as individuals get to take on part of Jesus' ministry and together be the fullness of him who fills all things. The fullness of him who fills all things. And the little thing that I'm just gonna land with today in terms of what it means for us to be the gospel is Firstly, I want to say that you might read those letters, those, uh, those names, and think of them as titles for people who work for churches, and that isn't how Paul writes this letter. Actually, in this room, looking around, are apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, and actually, I'd say to you that you need to play the fullness of that role. You need to play the fullness of that role in order for the church to grow to maturity, in order for you to step into the fullness of what God is doing with his love in your life. So the challenge is very simple. Let's pray when we worship in just a minute and ask God, which of those are you called to be? Which aspects of the life of Jesus are you called to be for the maturity of the church? for you to fully experience and express the love of Jesus in your own life. We could probably do a whole series on each of those. Maybe I'll chat to Rod and see if we can. We could do a whole series on each of those and unpack what each of those is and how we might be that. But I'd encourage you, you are one of those because you are part of the body of Christ. And this is a description of what the body of Christ is. The fullness of the body of Christ is these. So if you are part of the body of Christ, you are one of these. God is calling you into one of these, so which one of those descriptions shapes you and who God's called you to be? If you're struggling to find your purpose and your calling, I'd urge you to return to this and go, which aspect of Jesus' ministry is he calling me to be? What part of Jesus' body is he calling me to be? And the second thing is something I'm going to borrow from uh, a writer called Alan Hirsch, where maybe if you got that first point and it was a little bit basic that you're like, oh yeah, that's okay, I know I'm an evangelist, I know I'm a teacher. Well, in order to grow in Christ-likeness and to grow in maturity, we actually have to grow in the areas where we're weak. Because that's what it means to follow after Jesus, to become more like him. is to grow fully into his image. So if you feel assured, and this is what I am, but you're going but I don't know, you feel trapped or you feel stuck today or you feel tossed about by the wind. I'd say, actually, maybe God would highlight one of those areas where you're weak and say, step into that, grow into that. You don't feel like a teacher, but maybe God's saying, you need to really dig into his word a little bit more. You don't feel like a shepherd, but God's saying, I just want to break your heart for people a little bit more. You don't feel like an evangelist, but God's saying, I have work for you to do. I have people for you to share with. You don't feel like an apostle, but God's saying, I've got somewhere to send you. I've got an adventure to take you on. You don't feel like a prophet, but God is saying, I want to speak in and through you. So, this is the end of our little mini series Living Out the Gospel. And I want to land with that as we've looked at the life of Paul, as we've looked at some rich theology of who Jesus is, that actually for us to be the gospel is for us to experience and express the love of Jesus. And to do that through growing in maturity and to do that through taking on the mission, taking on the job of being the fullness of him who fills all things. Is that okay? Is that a good message? a couple of us like it, I felt like it's what God's saying to us, so let's pray, let's pray that as we worship, um, if you need to disappear, because I've run over time two weeks in a row, uh, we'll cut that bit from the recording, so no one knows, we'll just speed up the recording, and then pretend I did, did it in the right time, if you need to disappear now to work, then that's totally fine, go with God's blessing, but I'll still play a worship song, and if you're not rushing off, we'll ask God to speak to us through it, but I'll just bless you now, God, thank you, Thank you so much that you have called each of us today to be just a little taste of the fullness of you who fills all things. God, as we respond to your gospel, as we respond to your goodness, I pray right now that first of all, you would fill our hearts, that we would experience your love fully. That we would be led to maturity, to fullness of life by your love. And secondly, I pray that you would help us step into which part of the body you are calling us to be. I pray that you would release apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers in this room this morning. I pray that today would be day one for some people in the purposes that you're calling them into. Be with us now. Speak to us as we worship you. Bless anyone who needs to leave right now. May they go fully in your love. Amen.